0: Well, we've been in the book of First Thessalonians, which is really a letter written by Paul to the church in Thessalonica, and again, so much, I think, that is relevant for us today, especially with this overall theme, this overriding theme about hope, about hope. And really, in this specific section, he talks about how we do ministry, how we do ministry, and I think right now, during these pandemic days, ministry doesn't disappear. In fact, quite the opposite. Uh, it should be intensified. There, is, there should be, even in the midst of a trial, a certain joy and excitement about the opportunity this provides us as Christians to go about doing ministry. Uh, the needs are great, and when the needs are great, there's an opportunity for us to help Uh, meet some of those needs, but ultimately to share the good news, to talk about our eternal hope, uh, our greatest need, which is the need for a Savior and how God has met that need. Uh, We're looking here at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 through 12. Paul and his team, um, they ministered in the city of Thessalonica to the Thessalonian Christians, and he uses sort of his own ministry there as a teaching tool. He sets it up as an example for how we are all, in a sense, to do ministry. That God entrusts us, of all people, of all, of all the world, of all the universe, he trusts us as Christians to minister the truth of the gospel. Um, I don't ever want to question God, but it does boggle my mind that he would entrust something that important to us. I mean, I think the angels would have done a better job, right? But nope, that's what he wants us to do. He wants us as human beings made in his image who have been redeemed to actually minister to the rest of the world. And when I say minister, I'm not talking about the job for Pastor Mike and me. I'm talking about all of us are called to do ministry. All of us are called to be ministers, Uh, We minister to one another, we minister to the community around us, and we minister to the world. And a lot of people ask this question, and maybe it's one that's been sort of searching your, you know, you've been searching your own mind and heart, and where am I called to serve? How how am I called to do ministry? Uh, Before you even answer that question, which is an important one, answer the question, how do I do ministry? How do I go about it? Not necessarily where, but how, what is the way in which we minister? That's what we see in First Thessalonians chapter two, verses one through twelve. We read this. It should be up yeah, on the screen. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while well, we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you, believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk. In a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Four points this morning. First, how do we minister? We minister boldly. Boldly in the midst of hardship. Second, we minister to please God, not other people. That's who we are, an audience of one. We minister not for personal glory or greed. And then fourthly, we minister like a spiritual parent to kids. So first, look at verses 1 through 2. We minister boldly, boldly in the midst of hardship. Paul and his team went to the city of Thessalonica. you got to remember, the ancient city of Thessalonica did not know anything about Jesus or his death on the cross or the resurrection. There's no gospel there yet until Paul and his missionary team go there. And he says, we minister to them not in vain. In other words, we, we did it intentionally, we did it purposefully, we went there to reach people for Jesus and see a church start, and God gave fruit. It wasn't in vain, it wasn't without any result. God made a church where there was no church, right there in Thessalonica. Uh, he says, and we did this right after, being, after suffering and being shamefully treated in the city of Philippi, which is not too far. Uh, Philippi... Uh, Actually, Paul and his team were arrested in Philippi. Uh, They were mistreated. They were ashamed. And yet, a church existed in Philippi as well. And you would think, after that experience, it's time to go home. (laughs) Time to take a break. Time to get a good rest in. Um, But he says, nope. Right after that, we headed to Thessalonica to do the exact same thing. And there we boldly declare the gospel as well. Not dissuaded in the least, By opposition. In fact, he faces opposition basically everywhere he goes. And in the midst of much conflict, even in Thessalonica, like we said, even more opposition there, with a mob coming after them, he continues to minister. Friends, just as talking a little bit about missions, as we've been focusing on prayer for the persecuted church, understand that to, to finish the job that Jesus has given us to go make disciples of all nations. It's going to take some, it's going to take some courage, and it's going to take some suffering. I mean, that's that's what we're looking at right now. I got a picture of uh, some kids I saw on a mission trip, but to reach these kids out there and everyone else, it's going to take some sacrifice. It's going to take a sacrifice of resources. People need to be trained. People need to travel. People need to be supported for their missionaries for their mission work around the world. It's going to take personal sacrifice. You're going to have to leave family and friends behind. Folks are going to have to deal with the mental game of being on the mission field and homesickness and all that, leaving behind what could be a lucrative job and career back here. It's going to take some sacrifice. It's going to take some boldness. It's going to take opposition wherever they go, wherever our missionaries go going to take social opposition which often happens your next door neighbors are skeptical of you aren't happy with what you're doing religious persecution you're going somewhere where the dominant belief is not the christian faith and so there's opposition it's going to take political opposition oftentimes the government is against the spread of the gospel sometimes it leads to violence sometimes even to martyrdom and yet it's worth it uh, it's been said All of the easy places have already been reached. So, all the easy places have been reached. What's left of the world that needs to hear the gospel is the 1040 window. It's the Middle East. It's Northern Africa. It's places that are perhaps the most difficult places to reach. Places like China and Senegal and Nepal and India and Pakistan. Difficult places to reach, and yet, what does it take? It's going to take boldness and sacrifice. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us here? Well, first of all, let's support our missionaries. Let's support our missionaries, right? So let's pray for them. As they're going to places like Paul and his team went to Thessalonica for the first time. We do that through prayer. We do that through giving. Um, You know, you give above and beyond your tithe, your regular giving to your church to support missionaries. We do it by communication with emails and connections we do it by welcoming missionaries as many of you did when we had some missionaries come visit us just recently missionaries that we've been supporting for a while but it doesn't just apply to those on the mission field Uh, it's going to take a certain boldness right where you are now to reach our city it's going to take perseverance It's going to take courage And and you guys know this, maybe right now you're wrestling with a a tough conversation that you know you need to have with someone. Maybe there's a non-Christian in your life, at your work, or in your family, your extended family, or a neighbor, and and you're just, just holding back, and you know it's time. It's time for you to share the good news, which also means that we're sinners who need a Savior, which isn't always easy to share, and to tell people about the Lord Jesus, regardless of the result. And one thing I would say is, it's going to take boldness. It's not always just going to fall in our lap. It's going to take opposition in your own life. We face opposition here. Maybe not violence and martyrdom, but your own family and friends getting upset with you, mad at you. Talk to many Christians in our own church who have faced different uh, sacrifices for following Jesus. It's a spiritual battle. You're going to face... opposition maybe sometimes even feel alone and, and, and the mentality it takes to minister well is to say though none go with me still i will follow even if i'm alone i'm going to follow the lord as i says we've been talking about of course covid 19 coronavirus is a trial churches are struggling through these times people are frustrated this is sort of across the board they're short with each other The whole of 2020 has been kind of difficult. People are looking for for someone to blame for everything. And sometimes they unload on another church member or a pastor or whatever it may be. And it's time for us to get thick skin and to be bold even in the midst of hardship. More than that, of course, is we minister to please God, not other people. Verses 3 and 4. To please God, not other people. This is so Important friends, as you think about where and how God wants you to minister, Paul talks about his own motive for ministry. He said it doesn't, and you can kind of read between the lines that there were accusations, likely against Paul in his ministry and why he even went there. He says, first of all, it doesn't spring from error. I'm not teaching you a false teaching. Maybe some were saying that the the Jesus that Paul is sharing there in Thessalonica is a is a wrong teaching. It's a wrong view of God. Uh, God does not just Offer salvation through Christ. You have to obey the law. You have to be circumcised or whatever it may be at the time. It doesn't spring from error. It doesn't spring from impurity. Uh, He doesn't have some secret motive. Uh, Some commentators recognize perhaps a a sexual um, connotation by the word impurity there. He's not trying to take advantage of, of the women there in Thessalonica as some perhaps did. He's not there to deceive, he's not a big lie. This is not just sort of a cover up message for what he really wants to do. Instead, he says we go as those approved by God. That's the only approval that matters. God has called us, and we're going. And we go as those entrusted with the gospel. Just to clarify what the gospel is, the good news Jesus Christ, eternal Son of God, entered our world died on the cross for our sins in our place, calls us to repentance and faith for those who trust in him, follow him, put their faith in him, believe in him. Our sins are forgiven. We are reconciled before God, justified in his sight and given eternal life. That message is what God has entrusted to us. This little passage here, that little statement, entrusted with the gospel, uh, it's kind of dear to me. First, the seminar I went to, I went to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School out in Chicago. That was their motto. In fact, like on their mugs and everything, it had it in Greek, but it had the, the phrase there, entrusted with the gospel. That, that God would entrust us with something so valuable. It's the most valuable thing in the world, friends. If we lose this, if we mess this up, if we just become, go Radio silent, and this gospel doesn't spread, the world is doomed. Or God will step in in some other way, as he tends to do, by the way, at certain, certain places and dreams and visions, perhaps, even and we're seeing in the Middle East. But we're entrusted with this valuable, valuable message. You know, when you think about, what is valuable? Uh, if you, I was curious, and looking up, what is the most valuable substance on earth? Any guesses? Think of some guesses in your mind there. Uh, If you're thinking gold, sorry, gold falls on number 15, 15th most valuable, at $56 per gram. And so maybe you're a little smarter than that. You say, no, I know that platinum, platinum is more valuable than gold. Uh, Platinum is 13th on the list at $60 per gram, so slightly more expensive than uh, gold. Uh, What about plutonium, right? That's a rare substance. Plutonium is 7th. On the list at four thousand dollars per gram. Uh, if you are thinking diamonds, you're pretty close. All right, diamonds are third, third on the list of the most valuable substance on Earth. Fifty-five thousand dollars per gram, according to this list at least. The most expensive substance on Earth is antimatter. I guess nobody was guessing that, right? <laughs> antimatter, which is worth, according to this, sixty-two point five Trillion dollars per gram. All right, so that's antimatter. And I guess they expect it to someday fuel spaceships to go with long distances and all that. But even more valuable than antimatter, diamonds, plutonium, platinum, or gold is the gospel, the hope for human beings. And yet, God entrusts it to our care. And we're called to speak up. About this news, not to please man, but God. God sees all, God knows all, and he's the one, as he says here who tests our heart. See, he never looked and this is an example set as an example for us Paul never looked at missions as a popularity contest. You go where God calls you, you trust him for the fruit. And he'll bring about the result that he wills. We minister. How do you do ministry? We minister to an audience of one. We're not looking to please everyone around us. We're looking to please God. I think of a, in, in a conductor at an orchestra, right? I have a picture of an orchestra. If you're, if you're in an orchestra, which I'm not, I, I wish I played a musical instrument well. Um, but uh, what do you do? You're not trying to, to, to please the guy next to you. You know, if you're on the saxophone, you're not trying to make sure the, the, the flautists are on the same page, or the strings are you're just going to cause chaos, right? You're not even ultimately trying to please the audience that are sitting out there. What is your, your responsibility? You're looking to the conductor. And if everybody is sort of tuned specifically to the conductor, then everybody will be on the same page and doing what they need to do, and you'll actually have a beautiful orchestra, you'll have a beautiful symphony. And that's what we're called to do. We look to an audience of one. Ministry is not a popularity contest. Uh, It's not, how do I get people to like me? It's not even, how do I get people to like the gospel? (laughs) It's, here's the gospel, and I want to present it clearly and understandably in a way that can be grasped. So it's not just these highfalutin theological language. How can it be understood even to a little kid? But there it is. I'm looking to please the Lord. It, it, for a church, it's, it's not about who has the most members. It's not about who has the most followers on Instagram or Twitter or the most Facebook friends or how many likes we get online. Our responsibility is to look to an audience of one. Uh, I was thinking of another illustration. It's like a teacher in a class, right? So uh, we have some teachers here. Uh, the, the class clown. Might get a bunch of laughs from those who, from let's say, her fellow students around her, but it's the teacher who fails or passes, right? It's not a popularity contest. It's about how are you doing in regards to the teacher. And I would just say, I think that the greatest heroes in heaven will be people that we've never heard of, whose names are completely lost to history. Even to say lost to history, never known to history but in the eyes of God were faithful and served him well. That's how we're called to do ministry. Approved by God, entrusted with the gospel, seeking to please him. He'll be the judge. Uh, You know, this is a great passage for me as a pastor. Um, I've heard it said that pastoral ministry is not fair. If you're looking for fair, you're in the wrong vocation. Uh, And I know there are some Who are considering pastoral ministry online. Uh, Understand it's not fair. There will be slander and lies and gossip talked about you. So what? That's life. God sees, God knows, and we're called to be okay with that. One commentator, G.K. Beale, said though his motives, meaning Paul, were condemned in the world's courtroom, Paul is vindicated in heaven's courtroom. We focus on faithfulness. That's how we do ministry. Faithful to the Lord. Uh, Yes, be winsome. Nothing wrong with being winsome, but not watered down in order to be acceptable. And trust that the Holy Spirit will lead where you need to do, where you need to serve, uh, what ministry to get involved in, what mission trip to take, uh, who to speak to, how to go about that conversation. Of course, the the Lord is our teacher in that. Verses 5 to 6, we minister... Not for personal glory or greed. So we see what we do do. We look to please the Lord as those entrusted with the gospel. We are called to be bold. But here's what we're not to do. Uh, we don't go for personal glory or greed. Five and six. Uh, he says, I didn't come with words of flattery. His primary goal was not to make the Thessalonians feel good about themselves. Although hopefully they do in Christ, but that's not the goal. He didn't come with self-help Sort of ideas. He didn't come with the power of positive thinking. That was not his purpose in risking everything, even his own life and the life of his team, to go to Thessalonica. He says, I didn't go there with a pretext for greed, which some did in the early days, in the early uh, church days. He didn't think, how can I make a good profit out of these Thessalonians? How can I get rich? He didn't do it, he says here, uh, looking for glory from people. It wasn't about fame. It wasn't about trying to get a celebrity status. He wasn't going there fishing for compliments. He wasn't looking for the latest book deal. All right, That's not why he went to Thessalonians. And he says, I didn't even do it making demands. Although I could have, he says. Meaning specifically, I think here, financial demands. As an apostle, he can certainly receive from the work of the uh, ministry that he's doing. But he says, no, I didn't do that. It wasn't about what rights I have among you. It's about what was best for the spread of the gospel there in Thessalonians. Again, a powerful example set for us for how to do ministry. Sadly, there are, of course, many who use ministry in these ways. They see it as a means to an end. They, they say, well, I'm just going to tell people whatever they want to hear. And we see that with cult leaders, for example, or those who are like a chameleon, right? When they're with the church, they act a certain way, they look a certain way, and then as soon as they leave that context, they act and, and, and speak in a totally different way. And I think we've seen a lot of this lately, too. We see, there are those who look at ministry as a, a means to a political end. How do I get Christians to vote the way I want them to vote? What do I have? What language do I use? I 'm not thinking of any one individual particular politician, but in general, how do I use the church and Christians to push my agenda? Or I look at it like some people look at it like a job. It's, a, it's my nine to five. I go in, clock in, do what I'm supposed to do, clock out, go home, and forget all about it. Of course, there are many who use it for greed. Uh, we see this in the world of televangelists, oftentimes feeding off of the poor. Uh, and are manipulative with prosperity teaching. We see it with this idea of self-glory, really looking to become a celebrity. Um, in general, I don't recommend TV preachers. <laughs> uh, now, there are some good ones, and I'm, I don't usually, I'm not going to give you any bad names, but I'll give you some good names. So far, I would say Charles Stanley, who's retiring. Pretty good. Uh, Michael Youssef, David Jeremiah. So there are some good, faithful teachers you can find online. I'm not saying there aren't any, but be cautious. There's a lot on TBN that is not worth your time. Uh, people, friends, see and think that all Christians are like that. The fancy suits and the private jets. When the reality is, we know this, that the vast, vast majority of Christians are just faithful, local church attending, God-loving people who are seeking to serve him. Do ministry. You do ministry not because you want to get something tangible in return. The truth is, our our church is, is basically run by volunteers. We have a staff, we have an amazing staff, actually, but the volunteer service and work that the church offers is what keeps the wheel running in our church and has always been... What do you get in return? Well, you don't get anything tangible, but you do get the spiritual blessings that come with serving the Lord. With with knowing you're in the right, you're doing what you're meant to do. You're you're doing what you're meant to be doing. A certain shalom, a peace about it. Many of you guys serve, and you, you may never get noticed, never get recognized, never get praised. And we do try to do that. We do try to recognize faithful service. We don't always do a great job. Some people serve many years behind the scenes and it never gets really recognized. But that's okay, ultimately, isn't it? Because it's the Lord whom we seek to serve. I think it's true this when it comes to giving, which is a form of ministry as well. Many who give faithfully, give abundantly. We don't know, never get recognized, but it's the Lord who sees. Every floor that is swept Every meal that is cooked and brought over to someone who is shut in. Every hour you spend volunteering with our kids or our babies in the nursery. Obviously, it's not open right now, but... Every work of planting evangelistic seeds among your friends and neighbors. Every committee meeting you sit in (laughs) and endure through. God sees, God knows, and it's done for him. Not for glory, not for greed. And then fourthly, and this section is just so beautiful and such an encouragement when it comes to doing ministry, we minister like a spiritual parent to kids. How do we do ministry? We minister like a spiritual parent to kids. Paul, Paul That's how Paul treats these Thessalonians. What does he say? He says, we were gentle among you. These are, these are suffering, baby Christians. we just coming to know the Lord. So what is the right sort of mentality with them? Gentleness. Born in adversity, literally, with opposition. People literally looking to drag them out of their homes, like with Jason. They're learning and they're growing. He describes himself, he says here, and notice, Paul doesn't mind using a feminine imagery for himself. Like, like a, I was like a nursing mother taking care of her newborn children. My desire was to share with you, Thessalonians, not only the gospel, but, but we want to share with you our lives as well. That is so powerful about what ministry is all about. Not just, let me get this message to you and that's it. Here's the message that saves and here's my life in service of it. Friends, that's when, when when Jess and I decided by the Lord's leading to come back to First Baptist that was that was the mentality. I want to come back I want to minister the gospel but I'm also just going to give my life to it. Right? I just spend my like this week just spending time with Hyder Bogosian and, and talking about his time in World War II or sitting with uh, Sophie Perkins at Wingate and talking about what she's been going through in her suffering and sitting with Rich and Chris Havens and just trying to, f- you know, figure out what the next step is for them or having coffee with a brother at Panera or another, grabbing breakfast with another brother over in whatever that place is called. I can't remember the breakfast place and just talking about life and ministry. It's not just... I want, to, I want to give you my teaching, my doctrine, and then move on. Our lives as well. Paul, above and beyond, he says, We work night and day so that no financial burden would be on you. Uh, we call this a tent-making pastor nowadays. So a tent-making pastor is basically someone who doesn't receive full-time pay from their church because Paul was a tent-maker. That's what he did for a living, so they didn't have to charge the church any money to continue to live and eat food and so forth. And uh, tent-making pastors, we, we, uh, we have one, Pastor Mike, for many years. I did it in the early days, although Mike's retired from his other job now. So I, th- I still think you'd be considered a tent-maker, Mike. I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, they actually say that's the future for the United States, most likely as churches head in the direction that they are, that most pastors will be people who have a job somewhere else and then do ministry on the side as well. That's what he did, but he did it, why? To be gentle and loving to the people whom he's ministering to. He describes his own character there as holy, righteous, and blameless. Um, again, trying to clarify the accusations that were likely coming against him. And then he describes himself as a father with its, with his kids. I exhorted you, which means I have to correct. Sometimes that's the work of a father. You gotta, you gotta chastise. You gotta discipline. We encouraged you. You know, there's... there's there's the, you've got you to gotta fix this or you're going to get a spanking. And then there's the attaboy, right? It's both sides. And then we charged you. We gave you that sort of command to go forward walking with the Lord. Paul looks at ministry. This is so important, guys. Think about this. Like a family. Like a family. Notice that he even mixes the metaphor. He's a mother and he's a father, right? All in the same paragraph here. He's both. He's a parent. They're, they're images. The, the, these are the, the church's newborn babies, and their young kids at the same time, right? It's a spiritual family. Where would he get this crazy idea about the church being a family? Well, from Jesus, of course, right? You are my mother, my brothers, and my sisters. We're united. We look to God as Abba, Father. Friends, I would just encourage you then, when you think, when you think about ministry, if you are an older Christian, you should be a spiritual mother or a spiritual father, It's not, I put in my time, I'm done, I'm checking out. If you are a younger Christian, you should seek out a spiritual father or spiritual mother so you can continue to grow. And together, we are spiritually brothers and sisters. The best churches are ones that really act like a family. That's something you can't get on TV and web preaching, right? You can get phenomenal preaching and go and get it. But you can't get the family, you can't get the care and love of a parent Spiritually, as you do in a church. That's what this is all about, this last section. Gentleness. If you and I want to be faithful in ministering, we need gentleness. Notice, boldness and gentleness. They're not opposites. We might think, okay, the opposite of bold is, is, is gentle, gentle is bold. No, actually, the opposite of, of gentle is harsh. <laughs> you can be bold and gentle at the same time. What he's arguing against is we weren't harsh, we weren't cold, we weren't mean. But Nothing will turn somebody away from the Lord faster than that. When somebody walks in the doors of a church, first of all, understand what it takes to walk in the doors of a church for the first time. That is not an easy thing to do, especially if you're not a Christian and you're just seeking and you're trying to figure things out. That's a huge step of faith right there. And if they walk in the doors of a church and they get cold shoulders or a quick little rebuke, shut the door behind you, or something like that, you can imagine their heart just sinks right down. There's a certain gentleness. And I would just give us a, an application for all of us here. Your arguments on Facebook are not winning anyone to Jesus. Your angry posts about how our country is going to hell. Are not saving anyone. And there is a witnessing world watching everything you're doing. When you hold grudges against someone else in the church, you are hurting not just your relationship with that sister or brother, you are hurting your witness to a watching world. When you are quick to blame churches for being unfaithful and making them the foil of all your problems spiritually, as people do, because they had one little fallout at a church and 10, 20 years ago and they'll never go to a church again because they're all hypocrites you are doing disservice to God and to the witness of his people around the world watch what our brothers and sisters in the Lord do in places like China in India who risk everything to be together and celebrate the gospel with one another and stop that silly complaining and join with God's people and let us be together together A witness and a light and salt to this world. Gentleness matters when it comes to ministry. Where are you called to serve? Where are you called to do ministry? Again, I would say this let the Holy Spirit lead. Try out different places. Work with kids. Lead a community group. Consider being a deacon, an elder. Join a certain committee. I just bash committees, but actually committees can be very effective and helpful. Uh, search, uh, serve on Open Hearts Ministry, which we're, we're, which we're right now, uh, you know, but with COVID and how it affects quarantines, we're always looking for good volunteers. Um, join New Brothers Fellowship. They have a meeting every week here. Guys who just came out of prison um, or have been in prison or just looking for that fellowship there, uh, anyone's welcome to come and to help and to serve and to be uh, an encouragement to those guys. Get involved in an official ministry or don't. Don't wait. If there's something else God has put in your heart, go to it. Do some street evangelism or whatever it is. Be led by the Holy Spirit. But friends, how you go about ministry is actually a more important question than where. It's the first question we're called to ask. How do we go about ministry? We boldly serve the Lord even if that means trials and suffering. We do it looking to be approved by God for an audience of one. We do it not looking for gain and greed. We do it with the spirit of gentleness. Let's pray. Gracious Father, perhaps now... Now more than any other time in our lives, the need to do ministry and to do it well, to do it rightly, is so prominent. People are hurting. People are looking for answers. So many of the the foundations people have depended their lives on have been pulled out. The rug of the carpet has been pulled out from underneath them. And they're looking perhaps upward for the first time maybe in decades, and when we as your people, who are entrusted with the gospel, are faithful to boldly open our mouths, but to do so with gentleness, to do so looking to serve you with honesty and integrity, not out of greed or selfish gain, we share this good news and give our lives to it as well. Perhaps, Father, you might do something glorious and great in our day. We pray all this in Jesus' name, our Savior. Amen.